Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, it's the Friday News Roundup. I'm with CityCast's Mallory Falk and Francesca DeBecco talking turkey, inclines, and historical tours. It's Friday, November 18th. I'm Morgan Moody, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. It's not quite Thanksgiving yet, but people tend to celebrate Friendsgiving a little earlier. Any of you getting together with your friends for a Friendsgiving this year? Newsletter editor Francesca DeBecco. Yeah, I actually am tonight. (laughs) Funny you say that. I'm having a couple of friends over and I'm just doing a uh, not a typical Thanksgiving spread, but just like a charcuterie spread. So, um, you know, just very 2022. Yeah, something something easy. You know, I don't don't have time to cook after after the work day. (laughs) What about you, Mallory? Producer Mallory Falk. Um, so you might be able to hear in my voice that I am a little under the weather. So I am keeping myself and all of my germs at home. No Friendsgiving for me this year, sadly. Aww. Have you have you celebrated them a lot in the past? Well, my Thanksgivings used to be Friendsgiving. I, you know, I lived in New Orleans for eight years and it was right. always kind of far to get home for the holiday. So I would always just do Thanksgiving with a big group of friends there, potluck style. Yeah. Uh, I kind of miss those days. You'd always get a very odd collection of uh, homemade goodies. Yeah, friends that can cook and friends that can't cook. Exactly. And then the one person that shows up with like a tub of hummus yeah. that no one asked for <laughs> on Thanksgiving. It's all welcome. <laughs> what about you, Morgan? Are you doing Friendsgiving? Not this year. I, I haven't done I haven't done too many in like the past several years. Since I've moved back to to Pittsburgh, I haven't really done them. But same thing. I, I did them a lot when I lived in other cities um and couldn't get home for the holidays, you know, and neither could the other people that I was working with and half the time I was working on the holidays. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like yeah, so we would do a little Friendsgiving too. And Let's that was not forget nice. there was the pandemic. That's why a lot of Plus time the has pan- passed. <laughs> Plus the pandemic. Yeah. 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 I think now I'm just like now I'm now I'm enjoying the solitude of the holidays, you know, kind of just having a little something small and uh, yeah, chilling at home. No shame in eating a pumpkin pie by yourself. (laughs) (laughs) The suggested serving size is one, right? Yeah, (laughs) one per person, (laughs) one whole pie. (laughs) Thanksgiving, if you, or if you, you know, want to call it something else because of the historic context of the pilgrims coming to this country in the first place. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it is by far the holiday with the best food, at least in my opinion. my family, we end up like turning every piece of that bird into, you know, leftovers, which is probably why I only eat turkey during this time of year. I just I end up like having way too much of it. Um, everything becomes sandwiches. So do your leftovers get a second act? Oh, definitely. I'm big on not wasting food. Like I will go out of my way just to not waste food and make something so I don't like have to throw it away, but um, I definitely love a sandwich. Uh, But one hack Mm. that I've done before is um, if you have a waffle maker, put your leftover stuffing in there, get it all crispy and put your cranberry sauce and other goodies on top. It's a great way to like, let it shine for another day. Francesca. Coming in with the food tips. (laughs) That is a gem and people should actually have to, we should have a paywall for that tip. (laughs) (laughs) 
That sounds really good. If if you like that tip, give us five stars. Yeah, give yeah. us five stars. Rate and review us. <laughs> there are so many ways that we can, you know, reuse our our Thanksgiving, repurpose our Thanksgiving food. But there's a lot of food waste in the United States. That's no surprise. Um, according to the Natural Resources Defense Council, 40% of the food in this country is never eaten. We end up tossing. Ugh. I know. Is it, that's that's, that's makes so much. Yeah. And honestly, when I think about it and I think about the food that I throw out, that's I'm part of the problem. You know, we end up tossing like old vegetables, food waste from restaurants, you know, if we're not if we're not finishing our our our, our plates at the restaurants or taking that food home with us. Grocery stores, you know, overstock their shelves. So mm. if that food's not sold, it's thrown out or goes to a food bank. And then if it's not, you know, picked up at the food bank, then it's tossed. You know, it can only be on the shelves for so long before it's not safe. So... And is it worse around Thanksgiving time then? Yeah, there's an article from the NRDC that says turkey is part of that massive food waste this time of year. Every year, 200 million pounds of it goes into our trash. Mm, That's a lot. It is a lot, especially considering that, you know, a lot of people struggle to put food on the table and it just seems like we're, you know, easily throwing it away after making these like massive feasts, you know? Mm. While you're mentioning that, um, I should say I put together a list of places that you can um, contribute to, volunteer, uh, donate to, um, to help our hungry neighbors. So we'll put that in the show notes. Thanks for that, Francesca. Yeah. I, I feel like I am becoming very aware of how much, you know, waste I'm producing. Um, but I wanted to talk to someone who knows some stuffing on where to start. Uh, <laughs> eventually, they're going to ask me to leave this show because of my jokes. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, where should we start, especially for the holidays? Because it's easy to overbuy. It's easy to overcook. So I spoke with the food systems expert from Sustainable Pittsburgh, Rebecca Bykoski about how the food we eat and buy and inevitably end up wasting really impacts our environment. When we look at the emissions that is produced from food waste, so methane emissions are produced, and those are extremely more important than even CO2 emissions. And so as our food is decomposing in the landfills, that's producing even more of these emissions that are contributing to climate change. So did Rebecca have any tips for making Thanksgiving specifically more sustainable? Yeah, I asked her like what it all comes down to. And she said, really, it comes down to like one thing. It really just kind of comes down to planning, Um, you know, going back to one, the planning for your number of guests, but planning as you're preparing. So as you're making your turkey, what what can you do with those leftovers? You know, you can take those bones and you can use those bones to then make a stock to create some soup with your leftovers from Thanksgiving. Um, Same with your veggie scraps. You can use those to make stocks. Mm -hmm. So that can all be used to to make soups or thickened up to be a filling for a pot pie using your leftovers. So it takes a little bit more effort but it's also going to save save some money and keep a little bit more money in your pocket. And you know, another way to reduce food waste in your own kitchen is by getting it to go from someone else's kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, when people are making meals more in mass, uh, it definitely leads to less food waste. Um, so I have a list uh, that we can link in the show notes, but I'll give you some examples. Uh, Penny Pronto, the Italian takeout kitchen from Dianoia's, they have Thanksgiving takeout for two, as well as a la carte options. 
Um, the vegan catering food truck Veggies and That Co. They have single serving, half pan, and full pan platters for pickup at Fulton Commons in Manchester. And then another Northside spot, Shadow Benny. They have uh, family sized meals, sides, and desserts for pickup and delivery on November twenty third. So Ugh, check out I that love full Shadow list. Benny. <laughs> yes, yeah. so good. Check out that full list. Um, there's a variety of flavors, maybe some unique Thanksgiving items. And especially if you're not planning on cooking, this is a great way um, to, you know, save yourself some waste, but also save yourself some time, too. Is it wrong if I order and also cook a little something? I, it just all sounds so good. I, I promise not. I'll eat it all. I promise I'll eat it all. <laughs> as long as you put all those leftovers in the waffle iron, you're good. <laughs> yes. The show today is brought to you by an incredible local resource, AIDS Free Pittsburgh, and their pledge to end the HIV AIDS epidemic in Allegheny County by 2030. If that is a cause that is close to your heart, make sure you're around for their biggest event of the summer, the sixth annual Too Hot for July. It is a party, but it is also a chance to get confidential HIV and STI testing for free, plus info on the incredible preventative medicines we have now to keep yins happy, healthy, and feeling your most confident out on the town. So come on out to Allegheny Commons East Park on Thursday, May 30th. Yes, July is in the name, but the event is in May. Don't get confused. May 30th from 4 to 10 p.m. There will be DJ sets, a health fair and marketplace, a ballroom-inspired dance battle, cash bar, food trucks, and more. Plus, a performance by Tony Award winner Alex Newell, a.k.a. Unique, from Glee. This is all thanks to True Tea Pittsburgh and so many folks doing the good work out here in the community. So do not miss out. Learn more at TooHotForJuly.com. So that is one way if you're celebrating Friendsgiving early this year with friends. Um, But there's other ways to kick off the holidays this weekend, right, Mallory? Yes, you can possibly celebrate uh, (laughs) by riding the Monongahela Incline down to light up night. Um, So the Mon Incline has been closed since August for an $8.1 million upgrade, Um, but it might be reopening just in time for Saturday's festivities. I feel like the Duquesne Incline gets all the love and attention. It's maybe the most iconic Pittsburgh symbol, but it turns out the Mon Incline is actually the oldest continuously operating funicular, love that word, uh, in (laughs) the U.S. Did you guys know that? Yes, I actually did know this. Um, I credit it to the fact that I used to be the director of the incline, um, not the actual incline. <laughs> um, I'm not like working for Pittsburgh Regional Transit. Um, no, I used to uh, write the other daily Pittsburgh newsletter, the incline. So I did a, a little bit of diving into this history and I just think that's so fun. Yeah, so Morgan, I know you and I actually wanted to kind of learn more about this upgrade to our country's oldest continuously <laughs> operating. In fine. Um, so we talked to Ed Blazina. He's the transportation writer for the Post Gazette, but he's currently on strike and writing for the Pittsburgh Union Progress, and he's been covering the renovation. Yeah, it was nice talking to Ed. He was telling us all about like the the different renovations that they have planned uh, for the incline, which sound pretty cool. Yeah, he said this is actually the second phase of this renovation project that started back in 2015. Um, So back then they rebuilt the cable cars and replaced some of the tracks. And this time around, they're doing some mechanical work and replacing all the computerized equipment that runs the incline. But 
What I thought was most interesting is they're also making some aesthetic changes. So here's how Ed describes it. They're taking a time trip back, trying to bring back the atmosphere of the 1870s. So instead of the LED lights that they have had, they're going back to what look like gas lights. These are the lights inside the stations. Uh, Instead of LED lights brightening everything up, they're going to have these more period lighting. And the floors they're changing into a diamond tile shape that was very popular in the 1870s instead of what, what they've had more recently. They're also putting uh, lights on the track that can light up different colors, like red and green for Christmas, which, uh, you know, that's cute. I guess for Christmas, that's cute. I hope they I hope they have some other very cool colors planned. I love this. Our inclines are essential to the story of Pittsburgh's livelihood, you know, how people would and still do climb our terrain. It's mm-hmm. just so nice to see it get this special treatment. So, Francesca, I know you feel that way, but Morgan, you were like a little more skeptical (laughs) during our conversation with Ed. I have only ever taken the incline, you know, just really as something that you do, maybe around the holidays on a field trip. Um, And I kind of thought that realistically, that's what other people did, too. So to spend that much. Yeah. To spend that much on the renovation, I thought, you know. On something that was nostalgic, I thought seemed, you know, it's a little, a little excessive. Um, a little much. A little much. I didn't I think, think people you'd used be surprised. It. Yeah. I, and I was. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> you, you straight up asked Ed about this. Well, there's 600,000 people that use it every year. So it's not like it's sitting there unused. Public transit generally is not a money-making proposition. Uh, they, they are very lucky with any kind of public transportation, if they even come close to breaking even. It's done as as a, a public good. The businesses on Shiloh Street, say on Mount Washington, would say it's absolutely necessary because they mm-hmm. do a ton of business from even tourists ju- that just ride up and down and wander around the neighborhoods for a little bit looking around. I think I just think of it. It's funny. I had the there was a recent Reddit thread that was talking about uh, this person from Baltimore talking about their experience riding on the incline. And they were like they couldn't believe this was a real mode of transportation. You know, they they said the woman was like stuffing the fares in the box with a broom. And um, (laughs) it was pretty funny. And, and, And someone commented under it like, well, actually, that's the fake setup for for like, you know, Baltimore riders. We actually Pittsburgh riders actually have a pretty great experience on the incline. But yeah, we send all the Ravens fans over to yeah, like, non-functional yeah. one. <laughs> but it is funny. I just I didn't think of the incline of be, as being, you know, a, a, an actual way <laughs> that people are using transportation here in the city. The same way I think of the city steps. It is essential. It is so essential. People use it every day. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll say that like all of this, I don't know, got me interested in the history of our inclines. And so I found this great article by Katie Blackley at WESA called The Rise and Fall of Pittsburgh Inclines. That is great if you want to do a deep dive into the history. We'll link to it in our show notes. Um, I hadn't realized that there used to be like more than a dozen inclines in our region. And originally, miners used them to move coal. 
And then um, in the late 1800s, as Pittsburgh was growing and people were living on top of hills, they needed a way to get up and down the hills. Um, we know from our past episode with missteps mm-hmm. about um, the Pittsburgh city steps that were our first real form of public transit and how people you know, got from these hillsides to uh, work. But yeah, during this era, some people thought like, what if we make an incline that can move people instead of coal? What a thought. (laughs) I will say that it is the one comment that I always get from people that aren't from this city is how do people live in these hillsides and how are people getting up and down these hillsides? You know, because from the naked eye, all you can see are trees and houses. So you can't see the little (laughs) infrastructure (laughs) getting the people up there. It's Exactly. And so at a time, it was like a bunch of inclines doing it. Um, So the Mon was built in 1870 as the first one, then a bunch followed. The Duquesne Incline was built in 1877. Um, so yeah, there were like a f- quite a few of them cranking along up and down these hills. <laughs> yeah, yeah, truly. Uh, and of course, like we could guess that once cars came along, you know, fewer people rode on the inclines, right? Exactly. You know, people yeah started getting around by car and also as the industry changed, there wasn't this need to move coal up and down the hillsides anymore either. So most of them got dismantled and now we've just got these two left, the Duquesne and the Mon. So you said that the incline might be open in time for light up night. Yeah, um, Ed said that they probably won't know until today whether it'll be open tomorrow. Um, It's really down to the wire. I guess they've just had a bunch of supply chain issues and getting some of the materials that they need. It still has to pass inspection, so. Wow, really, really working until deadline there. (laughs) Yeah, for real. Hey there, producer Mallory Falk here. After we recorded this conversation, Pittsburgh Regional Transit announced that the incline will not be ready in time for light up night. So if this segment got you excited to jump on board, our sincerest apologies. They do expect to reopen the incline sometime before the end of the year, but there's no exact date yet. The good news is that Pittsburgh Regional Transit will be providing extra shuttle buses between the lower and upper stations of the incline for light up night, so you will at least have that option. Okay, back to the show. So, um, you know, regardless of how you get there, is anyone planning to go to light up night? I am going with my nephew, and he's four, and we're going to experience it through, I'm going to experience it through the eyes of a child, I guess. Oh, that's sweet. (laughs) That does seem like the way to experience it. Yeah. I love that. Mallory, we know you're staying in. Yeah. I myself have, meh. I, I'd just rather not be in the cold in the crowds, but I do think it's lovely. Um, so for those of you who are bringing in the holiday season on Saturday, there's lots of celebrations. There's the holiday market in Market Square. The city will light its uh, 170th annual holiday tree. And of course, there's the iconic annual gingerbread house display. That's always fun. And there's going to be live music, too. Uh, Rock legend Joan Jett is going to be performing. I just love her haircut. That's right. There will be four (laughs) hours of live music along Grand Street outside of the city county building. And don't forget that the tree lighting also includes fireworks and a light show starting at 5 p.m. You can find more light up night details in an article from the Trib that we'll put in the show notes rather than me giving you a whole uh, lowdown on the the weekend plans. But there's there's so much going on. Yeah, but I really want to tell you about is something extra special going on downtown. Friend of the show, writer, speaker, and author of the book Multi Stories, Mark Hauser, 
and our amazing lead producer, Megan Harris, who's out on leave right now. Um, <laughs> they've been working on this really cool walking audio tour project called Go Forth. Like Fourth Avenue? Yes, exactly. Exactly that. Um, it's all about the fascinating history of Pittsburgh's Wall Street, the old stock exchange that used to be on that street, the majestic antique skyscraper next door, and the historic bank that was also right across the street. That's really cool. Uh, is there a way for people to view the tour? Yeah, it's all on Go Forth. That's G-O-F-O-U-R-T-H Pittsburgh.org. It's really neat. There are a bunch of photos and drone images on the app that will help you imagine what Pittsburgh was like when this was the most important street downtown. There's also some accompanying stories about the people behind these buildings and what role they played in Pittsburgh's history. Megan and Mark actually uh, sent us a preview so you can get a sneak peek of what the walking tour will be like. So, Mark, let's talk about this idea of Pittsburgh's Wall Street. I know that this was an important address for local banks a long time ago, and lots of native Pittsburghers know about Dollar Bank on the next block of Fourth. It's that classic old brownstone with the stone lions resting out front. But this idea that there used to be a stock exchange on this street isn't something that I think is common knowledge. That's right. Everyone knows Pittsburgh was an industrial powerhouse filled with factories and steel mills, but this city was also a financial powerhouse. In 1900, lots of big cities had their own stock exchanges focused on local companies. Pittsburgh's was one of the busiest, and a seat on it cost more than on any other exchange outside of New York or Boston. Oh, it's so nice to hear Megan's voice on the pod again. I know, we miss her. Um, so if you're in town for light up night, definitely don't miss this tour. To kick it off, there will be a new mural reveal at the Benham Trees building. It's going to be busy out there. Lots of roads will be closed. Um, we'll also put an article in the show notes from Pittsburgh Magazine. They've got all the details on you know, how to avoid that traffic. Yeah, I got to think honestly of how I'm going to get my nephew down here uh, without me moving my car or without my car getting towed or... The incline, honey. The incline. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. (laughs) That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. Our team this week includes Mallory Falk, Elizabeth Kama, Francesca DeBecco, me, Morgan Moody... Music is by Benji, and we'll be back on Monday with more news from around the city, so we'll see you then. Wow. (laughs) Full man flatters. That is hard to say. (laughs) (laughs) Sounded like you were saying full flam, like you could get a whole just like pan of flam (laughs) for your holiday table. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's been a week.